Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. It's good to be together. It's good to be able to sing together, pray together. It's good to be able to come to God's Word together. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Titus chapter 3. Words will be on the screen. We continue on. We're actually almost done with our series through the significance of the church. We're looking at passages in three little letters in the New Testament, often kind of called the pastoral letters. The Apostle Paul was writing to these church leaders to help structure and and lead uh, these various churches that they were at. And so a lot of the stuff that Paul was saying to these leaders is actually a lot of implications to us, to the church itself. So we're going to consider today, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be devoted, specifically to be devoted as a church to this thing called good works. I'm going to walk through, hopefully very efficiently, five questions around that. Uh, Let's read our passage though first and get our head and hearts around it. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Let's ask God to bless this time. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would be with us as we consider it, and uh, that we would think deeply, and that you would do good work in our hearts and our very lives as a church. And we ask it to your glory and our good. Amen. We usually use the word devotion with things that are especially meaningful. Devotion to your spouse and family, devoted to your vocation. Of course, we use the word devotion when we think of spiritual things or with a relationship with God. Sometimes we use that word with other things, things like sports or art or music. As many of you know, I'm from the Cleveland area, and I I wouldn't necessarily say that I am devoted to being a fan of the professional sports in that town. I would liken it more like living with tuberculosis. I take it everywhere I go, and eventually it will kill me. I'm not laughing. (laughs) Devotion is a powerful thing, however. And it's not just something that you agree to or agree with. Devotion actually has something to do with our hearts, our affection, and has something to do with our lives and our action. So both affection and action are wrapped up in this thing that we call devotion. Your heart's all in it, and then you live in light of that which you are devoted to. And so for a church, what we are devoted to matters greatly. Our passage states it clearly, that we as a church family are to be devoted to good works. So what in the world does that mean? What would that look like? How do we go about doing that? So I have a number of questions, five of them, that I want to walk through. What are good works? What does it mean to be devoted? How can we be devoted? What does being devoted produce? And what are obstacles to being devoted? I'm going to walk through those questions. First, what are good works? What are good works? 
Well, the short answer to that is good works are reflections of the goodness of God. Look again at verse 8. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent. Our good works are essentially to point back to the goodness of God. Broadly speaking, sort of the 30,000 foot view of what does it mean to be devoted to good works. Good works are the things that point back to the goodness of God. The charge for the church is to devote themselves to good works. And that next expression, these things are excellent, is referring back to good works. Good works, the church is to be devoted to, are excellent. Whatever we want to say about good works, they need to be understood as something that's excellent. And the word here for excellent carries a very broad use. It can mean something that's healthy, beautiful, attractive, lovely, good, and and the context matters of which word you would draw on from that word. So what the ultimate expression of such good works is to point back to the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. We considered that last week as we were looking at the beginning part of this paragraph. In Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. So whatever it is that we need to be doing together as a church family, it's to be a reflection of that kind of goodness and loving kindness that we have received. There needs to be some sort of reflecting work about that. It's not necessarily that we're so overwhelmingly awesome that people would be blessed just to be in our presence. It's that we are living out our lives in such a way that it points back to the very goodness and loving kindness we have received. Kind of like how the moon doesn't reflect its own light, it reflects light of the sun, the greater light, the bigger light that's in the solar system. So our lives as a church, as individuals and as a church, are to be moon-like, reflecting out that which we have received from that which is greater. So that opens up the possibilities of a whole lot of things being good works if they're reflecting back to the source. Reflecting back to the source. What might this mean for you and for us now? Well, there's a couple of ways to approach it uh, that has profound impact on the way that we look at our lives and live them out. So it's just a little play on words. I, I may have said these words before, but they're relevant for us now. How, what does it look like as a church to, to be devoted to good works, to be eager to reflect back the goodness and loving kindness of what we've received? Well, we do different things, and we do things differently. That's what happens to our lives, individually and as a church. We begin to do different things, and we do things differently. So devoted to good works might mean we begin to do diff- different things. This includes stopping things that we are doing now. Maybe our manner of speech, maybe the kind of humor we gauge in at school and work. Could be laziness towards spiritual matters. Individually, we feel that. But it also can include starting new things that better reflect the goodness and loving kindness of God. Looking for intentional ways to engage your neighbor through service. Or maybe you're trying to get to know your coworker better and beyond work talk. 
We wrestle with these things because we've experienced something radically new and different in our lives, the goodness and loving kindness of God who saved us. So we want to begin doing different things. But we also need to know that devoted to good works might mean doing what you do now differently. Now this could certainly include spirit-dependent self-evaluation. You look at your own life, the things that are in your life. Some of the things that are in your life, many of the big things in your life, you can't just stop those. They're part of your life. That's part of who you are. You have responsibilities and relationships. You don't just jettison. So how do you go about doing things differently in light of those things, those fixed things of your life? You have a job. Do your job. Your job as best as you can. So some self-evaluation. So here's a question to ask. Is how I am living as a fill-in-the-blank, reflecting? How am I living? Is it reflecting, first of all, anything at all? Is it reflecting anything at all? Are you just going through the motions of your life, your roles, your responsibilities, your relationships? Just going through the motions, not really reflecting anything at all? Or is it reflecting more of the values and characteristics of the world? Are you living in such a way that's just indistinguishable from the world around you? Now, we're, I mean, we're just a human being. So, like, I mean, there are many things. No matter if you're a religious person or not, as of the human experience in this world. But what I mean by that is are your values, the things that you hold most dearly, and the way that they show up, your characteristics of your life, are they just indistinguishable from the world? Like, I would think that experiencing the goodness and loving kindness of God who saves us should probably bring about a whole different set of values and characteristics that start to show, form and show up in our lives. That's a hard question to ask yourself, but it's necessary. Or thirdly, is how I'm living as whatever, a spouse, as a parent, as a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a perfect stranger, is it reflecting something of what it looks like to be saved by the goodness and loving kindness of God? There's something that just says, hey, man, this person is different when others around you look at you. And maybe they're not going to be able to put any words to it, but is it at least something that counters ever so slightly or maybe even significantly what their lives have been like, the things and their values and their characteristics? I certainly don't mean that in an offensive way. We're not to go about offending people with our goodness. <laughs> As it, that, not in the sense that it carries with it some sort of sharp teeth to it. But are we, hey, are we living any sort of different lives in light of what we've received and what we believe and what we profess? These are important kinds of questions to ask and wrestle with. Because good things are reflections of the goodness of God. Second question I have here is what does it mean to be devoted? What does it mean to be devoted? So if that's good things, we want to reflect the goodness of God that we've received. We need to be devoted to that. So what does it mean to be devoted? Well, simply put, to put it into practice. It means to put it into practice. Good works are reflections of the goodness of God. To be devoted to that as a person and as a church means we put it into practice. Look again at verse 8. We're, we're going to ring out verse 8 as much as we can here. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. May be careful, intentional, on purpose to devote themselves to good works. 
This idea of being devoted is to live it out in reality. To live it out in reality. Experiencing the goodness and loving kindness of God through salvation is going to be at some point evident in the street level of our lives. That it's going to show up at the curb. It's going to sink all the way down into our actual living. To be devoted means to apply oneself to or to put it into practice. And there are three things about that that are important for us. One, it's actual. That it's not the Christian life in theory, but in actuality. That you put some skin in the game on following Jesus. You don't just hide Jesus and you following Jesus in this cul-de-sac of Christian world or in some sort of little bubble. World out there bad. Bubble good. Cul-de-sac good. Never to interact in any way, shape, or form. No, the living out of the goodness and loving kindness of God that we've received is going to be actual. Not in theory. Are not hidden in a cul-de-sac, skin in the game of following Jesus. And as a result of that, secondly, it's evident. To apply oneself, to be devoted is actual, and, and from that, it's evident. If our being devoted is real and actual, it will then be evident in some way. Not perfectly, not always, not 100%, 100% of the time. But it's going to be evident in what we are doing and how we are doing it. There's something different going on in our lives and in our church. And then thirdly, it is growing. To apply oneself to, to be devoted, to put into practice, think about that expression, to put into practice, implies that there will be growing pains. You ever practice at anything? Were you perfect the first time you did it? No, of course not. You were awful at it. And you wanted to quit. Then parents said, no, get back on the piano. Or whatever it is that you were trying to practice. Whatever sport, whatever thing in your job, it always is awkward and, and, and unwieldy at first. It's, it needs more time and proximity and practice. So it implies that, it, that, that it's going to be something that you grow at. You aren't perfect. And perfect isn't the goal. Just greater reflection of that which we have received. And so greater devotion grows with greater dependence on the source. Greater devotion in our lives and in our church depends on greater dependence on the source. That's what it means to be devoted. We, we put into practice that which we have received and are, are growing in. That it's actual, that it's evident, and it's growing. Third question, how can we be devoted then? How can we be devoted? I told you we're going to wring out everything we can out of verse 8. So let's expand out what we're looking at here at the very beginning. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So how can we be devoted? Well, we've got to be centered on the gospel. Got to be centered on the gospel. You cannot reflect that which you do not behold. And whatever you are beholding will be what you are reflecting. You cannot reflect with that which you do not behold. And whatever you are beholding, you will be reflecting. The thing that we behold, that's that thing where we put our heart on it, our affections on it. We put it all in on that. 
Say, this is the thing that is of the most important to me. This is the greatest value to me. This is where I find my meaning, my purpose in my life. And so if we put that on things that are lesser than Jesus, what he has done for us through the gospel, we're we're going to reflect that. We're going to reflect that. Now, we have another set of these things. So there's two of these things in our verse 8. Two of them. The first one that we just now read, that Paul is insisting on these things. He's insisting this to Titus. He's strongly and confidently affirming, hey, this matters greatly. And these things are referring back to verses 4 through 7. They're referring back to the gospel. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The first, these things of verse 8, refers back to the very gospel that we believe. The second thing, the second these things of verse 8, these things are excellent, refers to the good works that we live out in light of that which we believe. So you can say that the order matters greatly. The first these things must be the first one, or there is no second these things. We must be a people dependent and centered on the gospel. Beholding matters. That which we behold matters greatly. Because beholding leads to reflecting. So follow with me on that. In order to be devoted, we need to be a beholding people. We need to be a beholding people. I'm going to take you to another passage. The same author, different book. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So... Keep that verse up there. Thank you. So we're beholding Jesus through the gospel, through faith in Jesus, clinging to the gospel, centered on the gospel. We're beholding. And as we are beholding Jesus, we're being changed a little bit by a little bit by a little bit from one degree of glory to another. And just even in the original, it's just kind of like incrementally you are being changed. That's really encouraging. Right? We're not, we're, we're not changing rapidly. Maybe there's as times and moments in our lives where we do change kind of suddenly and dramatically. But then the, the bulk of the Christian life is just a little bit of change, a little bit of change, and a little bit of change. And all that little bit of change starts adding up over time. But all that little bit of change is flowing from us beholding Jesus. Not setting aside the gospel, but like looking even deeply into it. And as we do that, we are changing. We see here that beholding leads to transformation of our lives, of our character, of our thoughts, of our attitudes, of our actions. And this leads to being devoted to go to works. So in order to be devoted, we need to be a beholding people. And in order to, be, in order to behold, we need to be a gospel people. We need to be a gospel people. Just a couple of verses later from 2 Corinthians 3.18, we get this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. It's talking about it from one angle, sort of a negative, 
And then we're, I want to see the positive implication of this verse. In their case, that is those who don't believe in Jesus, that's the there, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So our hard hearts and the world in which we live work together to keep us from beholding. We need someone greater than our hearts and the world around us to intervene in our lives, and that's what God does. So the positive implication is of this verse is that we who do believe see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's a positive implication of that verse, is that we who do believe, get, we see it, we behold. We become now a beholding people because God intervened. He overcame the world around us and the heart within us. Because of that, we can now see. So beholding Jesus happens by means of the gospel, initially and continually. You don't set it aside. What is the gospel? Well, it is a holy God, the holy God whom we have offended, rescuing us from our sin and dressing us in Jesus' clothes. He takes on our filthy rags and gives us a Jesus' clothes. That's the good news of the gospel, is that a holy God graciously saves sinners the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus are saved. That's incredible news. There isn't anything that we do. We, we can't live good enough or, or pay our bad enough. Instead, we trust Christ's enough for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And under that good news, simple statement is a, a well that runs so deep that you could spend the rest of your lives di- Drawing from it and never hitting the bottom. It's that overwhelming and that good in its news to us. We need to be a gospel people. I love what then just two verses later it says in Second Corinthians 4. For God who said let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He is burst on the, the enormous spotlight onto Jesus, and he's enabled us to see. So continuing to be centered on the gospel means we believe that the grace that saves us is the grace that changes us and is the grace that strengthens us and is the grace that sustains us and is the grace that enables us to keep beholding. So we don't set aside the gospel or move on from the gospel, rather deeper into the many layers of truth and joys and all that is wrapped up in the person work of Jesus Christ. How can we be devoted? We be a gospel people. We be a gospel people. Fourth question. Then naturally from that is then what does being devoted produce? What does being devoted, sorry, being devoted produce? Simply glory to God and good to people. Again, I, there's just a little bit left in the sponge of verse eight. So let's look, let's look at the end of that. These things, that is the good works that we're to be devoted to, are excellent and profitable for people. They're excellent and profitable for people. Two things to look at and consider. First, as reflections of the goodness of God, good works bring glory to God. Remember our word for excellent? It can mean healthy, beautiful, lovely, attractive, good. 
what is all the ultimate definition of healthy and beautiful and attractive and lovely and good and excellent? Well, it's God. So our good works are reflections of the goodness of God and thereby bringing glory to God. I love Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So it's, it's, we're to give God glory both in who He is and what He does. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. That's what He does. And then the follow-up to that is praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Like, praise Him because He's the greatest of great. That in fact, the greatest of great pales in comparison to His excellent greatness. So who He is and what He does. God is the excellent. And so our reflecting the goodness of God and these good works that we are to be devoted to bring Him glory. Not just individually, but as a church collectively. So setting your church on that which excellence brings glory to God. Setting our own thoughts and our own hearts on that which is excellent. It's part of our bringing glory to God, saying He is worthy and worth it. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So do we, as a church, live as if God is worthy and worth it? Do we live as a church that God is worthy and God is worth it? That would have a profound impact on on the kind of hope and joy and expectation we bring when we gather together. In the midst of all that we are facing in this life, I know that life is hard. I know that there are plenty of struggles and plenty of pressures. I understand that. I feel those things too. But when we gather like what we're doing right now, when we gather, we're, we're coming together to reorient our thoughts and our hearts on that which is greater. Because we're going to have six days out of this week in which we feel the gravity of this world. And it can be harsh. This day when we gather, do we gather eager to encourage each other? Say, hey, you know what? I know life is hard. I know your life is going through some really hard things. God is worthy and worth it. Let's remember that together. I mean, sometimes that's the, that's the most that we can do. And guess what? That is good, and it is excellent, and it brings glory to God. Let's not lose sight. We can be that as a church. When other people come and gather and, and investigate or check us out or want to sort of reach out to something, grasping for something, And they come in and we're just a bunch of ordinary people who are holding on to something that's extraordinary, joyfully and hopefully. Maybe, just maybe, that becomes then the very thing that draws their hearts to God. These are good works. They're reflections of God's goodness. They bring Him glory and they also bring good to people. And that's the second aspect of this. As reflections of the goodness of God, good works bring good to people. So first they're called excellent and that has something to do vertically. That's something that it's talking about the source. But then, sort of laterally in our lives, in the way that we live out our lives, they're profitable for other people. 
profitable. We ran into that word already in our series. If you remember, we said it's a transformative benefit to those who receive it. It's a transformative benefit to those who receive it. Let me remind you where we ran into that. It was just a few weeks ago. We're talking about the word, and it's profitable. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What we receive from God is transformative benefit and good, and it changes us. Now, coming out of us is to be something that is profitable for all kinds of people. It's to be a transformative benefit and good to all kinds of people. As we live out that which we've received, it should be good for others. And the people here means all kinds of people, or everyone. No limitation on those who get the kind of good works that we are to be devoted to. Now, I want you to keep the context in mind, the original context in mind. This is a day and age when following Jesus didn't really have any sort of cultural good. Nobody was like banging down the door to be a follower of Jesus. It was a difficult thing in this day to be a follower of Jesus. It was costly and challenging. Their entire beliefs were pushed to the margins of the culture. It was, they were misunderstood and misrepresented. And they received all sorts of sort of social awkwardness and, and ostracization. And sometimes there was sporadic harshness. And then even more, there was like crazy, chaotic, like hardship and persecution thrown at them. That was much more sporadic. But it was more like that day-to-day stuff, being pushed to the margins of a relationship or a family. It would have been easy to just hide. It just would have been easy to hide in a cul-de-sac. Instead, they're instructed to be devoted to good works, knowing that they would be profitable for all kinds of people, even those who don't like you. So when we think through these things and we wrestle with it, we see that being devoted is to produce glory to God and good to people. And that leads us lastly to what are the obstacles to being devoted well, it should be very informative for us here. It's actually division within. It's not the hard, big, bad, mean world around. It's the division within that the Apostle Paul talks about. Verses 9 through 11. The sponge is dry from verse 8, so we need to move on. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Ouch. As for a person who stirs up division, after worrying him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Ouch. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. It's not the world around that Paul brings his interest or his focus on. It's the distractions within. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what happens when a church loses the plot. Well, here you go. This is what happens when the church loses the plot. First of all, we see distractions take root in the life and character and, and, and culture of a church. There's a, a failure to keep the main thing the main thing. In the beginning of verse 9, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. I mean, the key word there is obviously foolish, meaning ignorant speculations, usually centered around bad theology or heresy, things that are not true. 
and controversies and, and genealogies refer to other stuff being treated as like just as important as Jesus. He's saying, don't be distracted with that kind of stuff. Because that distraction is going to lead to the next thing we see, and that's dissensions. That's an interesting word. What does it mean? Well, just simply put, senseless arguing and strife. Sometimes you have to hold tightly to the things that are true. Sometimes conflict happens. That's not what this is about. This is senseless arguing, bickering strife. You ever seen a church get sunk by that? Trinity's been around 75 years. There's been a couple of times that that almost sunk Trinity. I mean, we don't have to hide that. It's truth. Dissensions, distractions lead to dissensions, and dissensions can sink a church. Verse 9 goes on to say, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. There's that word, profitable. So they don't bring any transformative good, they bring transformative bad. They bring transformative bad to the culture and life of a church. This whole idea of dissensions is like this boasty bloviating about this and that in such a way that it provokes infighting over that which is just stupid. Sometimes churches get stuck in stupid. And when they do, then divisions happen. Distractions into dissensions and then into division. doesn't seem like division is such a strong word, but it means to be broken off from the whole or broken off from the right way. Verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division after warning once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Bringing division. What does division do? Well, to divide means to reduce or to separate. That's what it means, to reduce something, to separate it. Which is interesting because the word multiplies. Divisions seek to divide, whereas holding on to the word as the main thing, not losing the plot, actually goes about multiplying. We ran into that already, but Acts 6-7, just to remind you. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That which distracts, that which brings about dissensions, seeks to divide, to reduce, and to separate. Clinging to the word, holding tightly to the gospel, not losing the plot, multiplies. So how do we go about regaining the plot if verses 10 and 11 ever happen in Trinity again? Well, one, we need discipline. And there's two forms of that. One is corrective, and that's what we see here in our passage. One form of discipline is corrective. We are to deal with those who are dividing. Our passage tells us, gives us some grace and mercy steps. Warn them once, then twice. Grace and mercy. Give every opportunity there to turn away from sin and to return back to the plot to clinging to the word, to being centered on the gospel. If there is no turning away from that, dividing attitude and actions, then have nothing to do with them. Meaning they are given no space to divide, no place to connect. It is the hard reality of their actions, but it is necessary for the health of the church. 
It is a hard reality for their actions. It's a consequence for what they are doing. And it is necessary for the health of a church. That's hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to lead in. It's a hard thing to experience. And I pray to God that we don't have to do it. That's one form of discipline. But there's another form. Largely overlooked. Hugely important because it's the everyday kind of form of discipline. And that's formative discipline. Formative. If you're an athlete, you have to be disciplined in your training, your diet, your sleep, everything. Why? Day after day, day after day, day after day. Because it's formative. It's, it's helping you develop and grow. Or whatever you might be doing at work, especially if you're new into your vocation. You have to have formative discipline, learning the skill, the craft, the trade, the responsibilities that come with it. If you're a student, you have to have formative discipline. And you know this, you you know this because if you don't, then you're doing all that thing called cramming the night before. And the cramming the night before is not usually successful. And when it is, it's unfortunately like a drug and you feel like you can do it again. <laughs> so I hope your cramming is unsuccessful, students, <laughs> for your own good. But formative discipline is necessary. What is it? Well, it's just doing the right things the right way. It's insisting on the main thing as the main thing. It's holding tightly to all the stuff that we just talked about. It's just keeping doing it. Keep on doing it together as a church family. That sort of formative discipline, the more it's happening, the less likely that corrective discipline is necessary. Being committed to your life group. It's gathering regularly with your people. It's praying together. You have the opportunity to come back here tonight at 6 o'clock and pray. It's this formative discipline that we just keep stacking these days upon days upon days of following the Lord, being devoted to the good works, eager to be reflections of the goodness and loving kindness of God. We need that so we don't have to deal with verses 10 and 11. So all these questions are just to help us to see what it means to be devoted. So think of the characteristics we've considered so far in our series. We've talked about the church being, having the characteristic of prayer, of word, of gospel. These things are the things we are to insist on in our church. And, and these things are necessary for our devotedness to be fostered, strengthened, and real. As we insist on these things, let us be about that life. Let's be a people devoted to being and doing the things that reflect the goodness and loving kindness of God. We have enough obstacles in the world around us, so let's be on this together and not get distracted with senselessness and division. All to the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And as we ring it out, I pray that you would help us to um, just... Soak it up in our hearts and and think deeply upon these things and that we would be encouraged and changed and um, um, just strengthened to live for you as if you're worthy and worth it. Help us to know what that means and to live it out more earnestly and really and truly. Is there any with us that are far from that or hard toward that? God, I, I, I pray that you would help them come to know your goodness and loving kindness through your son, Jesus Christ. Lived and died and lives again. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.